Hey everybody, welcome back. It's What Would The Smart Party Do? I'm Baz. I'm catching up with my old mate Gaz. How you doing, buddy? Hello, buddy. I'm not bad. I've had the dreaded lurgy, but I think it's more or less gone now, so good. Constitution save. I recommend it. Yeah, I failed a few, but I've had to make a few re-rolls, but I got that in the end. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of it going around. Uh, it, It comes from being a social gamer, you know. Spending time round tabletops with other people who have got like viruses and stuff, passing passing secret notes to the GM that are covered in cold and influenza. It's like a pandemic, but with D20s. It's because I keep letting other people use my dice. I'm gonna have to put a stop to that. No more. No more. I say. <laughs> I thought I thought you'd put a stop to that in like 1991 when you like yeah, I, I set secretly. fire to someone for touching your dice. <laughs> I have my emergency dice. I let other people touch that. I think. <laughs> We'll have to get rid of them. Obviously, yeah, well, my dice need... nobody can touch, but I like extra my dice that other people are allowed to go in. Yeah, yeah. Stop, stop touching your own spare dice that you only lend out to other people. That'd That's it. it. Yeah, yeah. It's and and do handouts with tongs, perhaps <laughs> sliding like photos across the table. Yeah, I'm got to stop laminating stuff and instead just burn it after the game. I think that's the answer. <laughs> Iron Man role playing, burn all the handouts. <laughs> okay, so uh, apart from the lurgy, um, what what's been hitting the the reading and playing list of Lagaz over the last couple of weeks, mate? Is the nightstand creaking under the weight of delivered Kickstarters, or is it a couple of lightweight PDFs have floated across your field of vision? What's going on in Gazwan? Yeah, I'm in one of those kind of. Um... Uh, mercurial states where I can't land on something at the minute and I keep picking up bits and looking around. So um, there's the Arkham Horror card game, which I've been having a flick through. All right. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a a bit of a living card game model, like the Netrunners or whatever else that you might have going on. Uh, But it's played co-op, and it's kind of Mm -hmm. uh, you as a party against the game against an artificial intelligence and inverted commas that the, the game mechanics kind of run. So it's kind of halfway between a card game and a role-playing game to an extent. Mm. Um, but that's quite good fun. I need to get into it properly and sleep everything up and uh, have a proper session at it where I'm a bash at a few missions and leave some burning mansions in our wake and that kind of stuff. Um, the only weird thing about it is, well, not weird, but may, maybe slightly awkward, is that you're not allowed to tell other people what you've got in your hand. So you end up having these right. awkward conversations where you try not to cheat the game because if you do, then obviously it just makes it all a lot easier and why bother if you're just going to cheat. Yeah. Uh, but but equally, you don't want to like totally abandon people. So it's kind of, can you help me with this? And it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe I could help a bit. And you start doing it in uh, sort of in character <laughs> without saying, I've got a flamethrower. You kind of sort of say, like, you know, you find out different ways yeah. of trying to uh, hint at what you might have. So it's kind of trying to play bridge with Cthulhu <laughs> without giving away how many uh, trumps you can or tricks you can build up or that sort of thing so yeah it's, it's, hmm. it's a fun thing but uh, it needs there's more investigation I think What's, what is the difference between that and normal role playing games because I, I seem to be playing a lot of games over the years where the contents of other people's character sheets are a closely guarded secret and then you end up <laughs> having to do the whole um well, I am I am very eagle-eared or eagle-eared. What's eagle-eared? Eagle-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> Intelligent stat that got dumped, mind you. <laughs> yeah, the eyes of an aardvark. Fumble. <laughs> eyes of an aardvark. That, that's in fourth edition somewhere. One of the purples. So <laughs> you have to go like, uh, yeah, yeah. Who's got the sharpest? <laughs> the sharpest nose <laughs> and you, what you don't want is for someone to go I've got perception six because it's like oh god we were trying to avoid that but yeah. at a certain level it's like just just tell me who's best really because one of us is making a role at some point and I, I hope yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. it, it is I, I looked at Arkham Horror that looks cool. is it got um, is it got like you know you talked about the AI of the, the keeper element of it is there an app for that or am I thinking of a different game oh I don't know there might be um, I've not checked on that to be honest. Like I said, I've only really just got into it, so um, more uh, more investigation required. I know for things like uh, what was it? There's a board game X- XCOM. Is it that has a an yeah. app that you get with it that sort of tells you when to do things a little bit? But I might be thinking of that. But I have a feeling when I investigated Arkham uh, before Christmas because I thought it'd be out in time for Christmas. It was going to be on my list, but well, that was never going to happen. Um, I thought it might have that kind of thing actually, because it's 
because the people will say, and I think you know they, they, they may well be right, that the difference in role-playing games and other tabletop hobby games is that inclusion of a GM. Mm. And there's some blurred lines in a, in a lot of games, um, all the way going back to, I suppose, Hero Quest. Uh, not the one that smells of wee, the one that Games Workshop did on a board with MB. Yes. And it had a little DM screen, didn't it? And it there did. was there was like a, someone in charge of it. But um, yeah, infinitely more useful than any other Hero Quest GMing I've seen. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Buzz. But yeah, I, I, I kind of like that. I, I I think there's loads of mileage in Blur in the two, and um, and certainly living card games are full of flavour for me. We sp- we spoke about Netrunner enough, and. And I don't know if I'm ever going to be signing up for a Call of Cthulhu game anytime soon, but I'd love to give Arkham Horror a trot out. I think that would yeah. be good. Yeah, well, um, sort of vaguely related. The other thing I got my hands on was um, some Cthulhu dice, which are basically the, the Q Workshop version of, you know, overly scripted dice. Scripted, is that the right word? Overly carved and got too many symbols on them, really, so you can't understand what's yeah. going on half the time. But they do look quite nice. I think they glow in the dark as well. Um, but some cards as well. So one of the things they did as a stretch goal, the recent um, Kickstarter was um, give you packs of tarot-sized cards and mm. one's full of like strange people you might meet and one's full of like, equipment or tomes and items you might get and one's full of insanities and things like that. So they're quite interesting as well. So I've had a bit of a flick through them. But, you know, it's quite hard to sit there with a deck of 50-odd cards and read everyone. Um, I think they're going to be more useful when I actually play a game and start just dishing them out randomly or something like that, perhaps. But um, it's nice to have gaming artifacts, I think, as well. At the minute, I'm, I'm enjoying a bit of that. As much as I'm yeah. sort of opposed to Kickstarters, if they have too many of these things, and that means the Kickstarter doesn't come out because they're busy making tote yeah. bags and dice. Uh, but once you've got them, uh, they're quite cool. I like having artifacts for games. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Cthulhu dice. I mean, surely that that doesn't work, right? Because they're not allowed to have any right angles or things. So <laughs> wouldn't they be like the opposite of platonic solids? And they'd be like something out of Dungeon Crawl Classics, where they've got thirty-one sides, and that's normal. Yeah, yeah. You roll them, and you can't see where they've gone because they've fallen into the cracks of reality. <laughs> yeah, they're mine. What's that howling? <laughs> uh, so, uh, brilliant segue. This you'll like this, right? So, my Dungeon Crawl Classics Kickstarter box showed up. Hooray! Um, which is packed to the gills with Gamer Bling. Um, I'm, I'm for the same reason as you. I'm not a massive fan of the Kickstarters where the stretch goals go absolutely crazy. Um, and I'd almost forgotten I'd back this, to be honest. Um, but glad I did, because even the cardboard box had bling in it. It's, it's a custom-made cardboard box with loads of DCC art on it, and I really like DCC art. I'm, I'm going to have to um, stop you. It comes dirty- in a box. Like the old days where we it used to get games in a box. Oh. Not really. No, the the oh. but the package came in a box. Oh, so right. it's oh, like oh, one okay. of those brown boxes from Amazon, <laughs> but instead of having um, instead of having a little smile on it and a little sort of tear strip to get to your to your Amazon books, it had like loads of skulls and Dungeon Crawl classics written <laughs> all over it, and okay. on the inside of the box too, like art in the packaging, which is weird. Um, I've never normally want to keep the the outside box. Uh, But no, they they hadn't gone as far as considering putting it in a box because I don't think there'd be a box strong enough because the book weighs about four pounds. It's uh, it's got gold edging on the pages. It's got those little sort of... um, You might have seen these back in the day when we used to have things called libraries with giant dictionaries and reference books where they've got like little indents in the page where you kind of like flick to the alphabetical bit. It's right. really difficult for me to describe, but imagine like little hemispheres carved out of the the block of paper um, and ribbons and all that stuff. All of that's deeply unnecessary, but good fun. But what was really cool about it was you got a stack of adventures as well and uh, and a little character folder so that you could put your character sheets in there. And my very favorite thing of all was uh, a sheet of stickers with like a sticker for each of the modules that you could peel off and put on your character sheet as having achieved that adventure and unlocked it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so it's the kind of stuff that appeals to the the wax crayon old school D eight crowd, yeah. definitely. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. you know tiny little bit of crafting. Um so yeah, game of bling good. So yeah, loads of stuff coming through the letterbox. That's been nice. Won't play it, but it's been nice. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the the other thing that's come through and, the virtual um, Oh gone. <clears throat> No, no, your turn, mate. Yeah, to knock me out with some good stuff. 
No, well, it's something you should have had landed upon your doorstep virtually as well, I think, is the uh, Unknown Armies 3rd Edition. Books, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I've started reading through. There's three of them, so I've just had a bit of a look at book one so far. Uh, and I've got I've got mixed emotions, I'm, I'm going to have to say. Mm. I do like a bit of Unknown Armies, but, um, yeah, the book one contains a lot of the rules and things, and um, there's probably too many, if that doesn't sound mm-hmm. too strange. Um, so it's back. I don't want to get into all the details of it. We'll have a podcast on its own just on that. But it's things like um, they kind of want you to hand wave ranges for weapons a little bit, which is fine because it's that mm-hmm. sort of game where you don't have to count squares or worry too much about ranges. But then if you want to move more than 10 feet in a round, you've got to make a roll for it and you might end up falling over and stuff like that, which feels a bit counterintuitive if that's not the sort of game you want to be playing. Um, mm. So it feels a bit of a mixed bag of some stuff's really cool and I'm glad they put it in and other stuff I think, why is this rule here? Why have you made one up? Why is there a paragraph on this that doesn't really seem to be something that we would be doing in the game, if you know what I mean? Yeah, my only sort of other gripe really, and this is going to be a subjective one, so it'll be interesting to see how you feel about it. But I don't like the artwork in inverted commas, which is a lot of real life photographs that have just been touched up by rotoscoped a little bit. And I presume it's mainly backers from the Kickstarter who've got their faces in the in the books or the products themselves. Um, but it doesn't. It just feels a little bit too real to me. Like it's, I can actually see that it's a photo that someone's taken in a bar, rather than it being a, a role playing image. If you know what I mean. So that, mm. I mean, I can get mm. over that because it's just some images and the stuff that you don't see at the table. But uh, I found that a little bit off putting as well. I didn't, uh, I didn't the, mind that. I, I thought that that bit looked okay. okay. I know what you mean. I thought that the graphic design of the book was really cool. I thought the covers were excellent. Yes. Yeah. Um, for whatever that matters. And it's a, what they call crisp, clean layout. And I didn't mind the photos, although some of them were a little bit jarring, kind of like the cameos in Rogue One, the CGI bits that I won't spoil even months down the line. They were a little <laughs> bit like, oh, oh, hello. And they... Yes. <laughs> they no, do, you good, remember, good do you remember way, way back in some Shadowrun books in the little sort of colour plate bits they did, they had some that were like photos of people dressed up as trolls and street mages. It was a bit like, well, good effort. And I don't want to knock your abilities at cosplay. Um, But it was just a very, very occasionally, it looked like, um, (laughs) it it did look a bit fancy dress. Um, But it wasn't awful. And I've seen far bloody worse, honestly. Um, but, you know, I have exactly the same opinion of the text, I think, as you do, mate. I mean, Greg Stoltze, who's written Unknown Armies, uh, well, he's on to the third time he's written it now, so maybe that's part of the issue. Uh, he's a brilliant writer. Really, mm. really good. Um, I like his novels. I like his work. I think the central ideas in Unknown Armies are brilliant. And we will do a whole podcast on it, mate, because I think it's deserving of it. But even Greg Stoltz's writing, which is second to none, isn't going to get me through four pages of firearms. It just isn't. <laughs> and I just don't think it's... I, I'm genuinely surprised that it's not been... had a, a real scalpel taken to it from an editing perspective to, to trim out some of that stuff, which, brilliantly written as it is, must have been a chore for him to write. I mean, how many times can he write about guns or, or falling off things or electrocution? It just doesn't seem the sort of game where that's going to matter. Maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe yeah. as Brits, we wouldn't see that happen so much. I don't know. It, I think it might. I don't know. I can't really remember what happened in the Kickstarter, but the thing with those sort of things as well, there tends to be a bit of bloat where people go, I'll get this much money, I will give you the 96 pages. Uh, and mm-hmm. I've got mixed feelings about that as well with those sort of things. Where I think, well, can you can you keep the same number of pages, just make them better, rather than just adding more yeah. content for the sake of it, you know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. you weren't mm-hmm. going to release originally. It's only because you've got some extra money you thought you had some extra in. So it's never going to be as good as the original chunk that you had, if you know what I mean. It's a bit yeah. like when you get archetypes for games or extra classes. They're never quite as good as the ones that were in the original book because they're the ones that are polished and work well. And they're either a bit of power creep or they're just something extra you thought of now that you've got all the good ones out of the way, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So there's possibly a bit yeah. of that. But I mean, most of the core writing still, like you say, excellent. All the stuff about do you really want to get into this fight and all the rest of it. Those sort of things we've mentioned before. And it's still like you know a really good read. So I think I'm looking forward to getting to books two and three where it's more about the the meat of what Unknown Armies is about and less about the mechanics of how a game works. Yeah, uh, read it backwards. I do that with a lot of books, actually. I kind of go to the back and sort of work forward. Book one's 
it's a peculiar beast because it doesn't even have character creation in it, except it kind of does. Yeah. But it keeps saying we're going to go back to this. It's it's just weirdly assembled. It's it, for those who don't know, it's uh, it's going to be three books in one kind of slipcase, I suppose. Each of the individual books is not massive by role playing terms. I think they're about 190 pages max each one. So the three together are going to make up a big chunky hardback. Um, but and, and in the same way as say Feng Shui Two or the new Seventh Sea Edition, it's it's like the return of a game from from that era mm. at, at pushing three or four hundred pages. And you think, well, I used to play all of those games, so why am I looking at the new versions of those games? And I'm going to sort of stir them all in together and thinking, if I want to run this for people who even used to play it with me twenty years ago, I've got to do an awful lot of work to break the back of this. Yeah, there's there's just a stack of reading. Um, and and I can't believe I'm reading about movement zones in combat for a game that just went on for three pages about how combat's a really bad idea. <laughs> but it's, but yeah, but here's loads of detail on it for when it inevitably happens. I don't know. It could have could have used a bit more of a, a firm hand on that. Less is more. But I'm going to say that about nearly every book ever released these days. I think. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because I think uh, the One Ring, for for example, that started out as two books when it first came out, and there was a lot of um, morning, for want of a better word, I was one of the people morning, but you had to flick backward and forward, and half the rules for it were in one book and half were in the other, and you sort of like had to right. leap between the two, and the indexes weren't great. Uh, and then when they sort of rebooted it, uh, well, not rebooted, just re released it really, it was just one volume and edited a bit better. And I think that's probably, if you're having a game, just, just give us one book, I think is probably the answer, mm-hmm. even if it is three or four hundred pages, because trying to break it down into two inevitably means then you have to flick between two books to try and find the stuff you want, and you end up having to read mm. to as many pages anyway to get to deliver the game to your players, I think. so. Interesting mm. that they've gone down different books route when you're still required to cross-reference between the books. I can understand if it's distinct. You know, if you literally have got a monster manual and only the GM needs to read it, then fair enough, have a separate book for it. But for other stuff, mash mm-hmm. it together, I think. But, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and none of it matters when you read it on a tablet, which is how I'm... I'm taking it in true so yeah. <laughs> you know it's all a bit lost at that stage isn't it mm. great to have artifacts and 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 i think it's quite a cool looking stuff the photos didn't bother me as much as they bothered you um but I, it's still something that's going to be nice on the shelf and nice to own but in a slightly weird format um which would be okay but i don't think they've utilized it maybe brilliantly i don't know way too early to tell me because i started skimming yeah. quite early on and i want to go back and do it justice because i know there'll be great games in there Mm. Um, but whew, watch this space it's going to be a while before I finish it and I might <laughs> run out of steam <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll try we'll see how far we get I mean still like yeah. the graphic design of it there's even on the, the electronic page there's kind of like a little sidebar to one side isn't it that has the chapters on and there's mm-hmm. an image for each chapter you can use those to nip across to the bit you're interested in that sort of stuff so a lot of it functionally still look, looks good and works but hmm. we'll yeah. get there and, we'll and get. And one of the things I, I really, really like about it, I think this will come up when I talk about another couple of things in a bit, is it's written in a tone of voice. It's um, it's written by a person who is speaking directly to you as a reader and is assuming that you know how to play role-playing games and this is not your first rodeo, which I really appreciate. I think that's good. Um, I like the tone of voice that, uh, that, that Greg uses. It's kind of conversational. It's kind of Tarantino-esque as well. You know, it's got the occasional... Effin and Jeffin in it as you go along, which cool. It's a grown-up game. Um, yeah, it's good, uh, which is why I think it gets a bit spoiled when it gets into the nitty-gritty of tactical wargaming, I suppose. But yeah, it's. Um, I like that the book is written for gamers, and strangely enough, actually, Greg Stolz's website is where I send everybody who doesn't know what role-playing games are because he's really good at explaining them, um, but doesn't feel the need to go back over that old water, um, which I'm glad of. So yeah, first first dozen pages of book one are just awesome, but I got tired. <laughs> I need to go back. I'll, I'll have another go. <laughs> no, I think that's fair enough. Um, so that aside, the other one that sort of come across, which I've, I've literally skimmed, I haven't read a single page, uh, not for a while anyway, is Blades in the Dark. Oh yeah, which yeah, is kind of the, the, the pseudo apocalypse world, but not not really but that sort of way out kind of game where you play a bunch of thieves 
uh, and you can kind of zoom in and zoom out to action if you know what I mean and that kind of stuff. So there's, mm-hmm. there's lots of good bits in there, I think. I think we're now at the final, like, this is a, a released version, inverted commas, because we've been through so many uh, playtest, edits, uh, betas, whatever else. It's been hard to keep track of what the current rules actually look like. So I think this is the mm-hmm. first firmed up version we've got now. So I'm looking forward to giving that a bash uh, at some point soon. Yeah, I have that too, mate. I'm, I think my I've followed Blades in the Dark from early days of the Kickstarter, and it's it's been very involving. It's it's been in some ways it's been really really good to see so much collaboration because John Harper, who's the driving force behind it, is very very open um, about all of the playtest docs and how it looks, and is more than happy to get involved in chit chat. Um, but still, I think he's managed to churn out something at the end that doesn't look like it's designed by committee, so that's good. Um, it's it's a sharp looking PDF. Again, I've got it in in digital format first of all. It's put together by the guys at Evil Hat. So it looks like the fake core rulebook, if that makes sense to anybody, which is very clean and easy to read and good use of white space. So even on a tablet you can you can tear through that. But um but similarly to you, I mean, I, I think I started reading Blades in the Dark like well, it must be eighteen months ago. And it's been through at least six versions, and I haven't looked at the last half dozen versions because it's getting difficult to keep up to date with the changelog. Really, I don't know how different it is from the game I first looked at when I put my money down. Um, reading it again now, it's uh, it's got a super cool premise. It's got me written all over it. I love this sort of stuff. Um, I love Scott Lynch's books, Lies of Loch Lamora. Um, and this lets me play in exactly that world with exactly those kind of shenanigans. Um, it's heists and capers in a fantasy world that's a little bit industrial and Dickensian. Uh, so it's got all of the good stuff like smoggy streets and thieves on ropes rappelling down buildings and bits of Mission Impossible and Ocean's Eleven and, and you know, just happy days because I'm always going to want to play something like that no matter what the game is because all my characters are Black Widow, and <laughs> Blades in the Dark is, you all get to be Black Widow, uh, which is great. And um, and also, it's more supported than just, here's a fantasy engine, but let's play in that style. It's got stuff in it to make that happen. Stuff that's been seen before in other formats, but it's got flashbacks, which are great, so you don't get too bogged down in planning. It's got a really neat-looking system where your crew tries to claim turf and gain rep um, and take down some of the other gangs and attracts heat. Stuff that is either hand-waved away in downtime in other games or is just treated in a kind of half-assed manner. It reminds me weirdly of some old play-by-mail games I used to do back in the day where you could like control a gang and look after bits of the city yeah. and try and expand your empire. And, and that all looks good. So all of that is excellent. Tone of voice makes me want to throw it through the window. And given that it's on quite an expensive tablet, that's not a good plan. So it's 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 only a criticism <laughs> because this works for me because it's just it's totally a personal opinion, right? But oh my God, right. Powered by the Apocalypse games are just, they drive me up the bloody wall because they, they, they seem to be doing everything they can to avoid calling itself a game. Um, and you've got these little kind of, mottos sprinkled throughout the whole bloody thing that look like they've been taken off a bumper sticker like you know play to find out what happens and fiction first and all that and i get it i do but oh my god do they bang on about it (laughs) and and in all the examples it's written in the sort of tone that you would get off of uh being on hold to uh, a telecoms company when you're phoning up customer service where they say like we really appreciate your call and somebody will be with you in just a few seconds and have you ever thought of using our online service? So it's like overly polite. And, and it's got little questions it keeps asking itself in the text, like, um, have you ever wondered what would happen if your gang wanted to do this, but someone else wants to do that? And then in italics, it will say, play to find out what happens with an exclamation mark at the end of it. It's like, well, I haven't thought of that. Well done. <laughs> you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, when you get presented with a meal at the restaurant, you look around to your other friends and say, oh, yeah, cool, I wonder what this is going to taste like. If your mate said, well, why don't you eat it and find out, you'd go, all right, what are you being Sasaki for? And that's what the book's like. It's like, yeah, I, I'd thought about playing it to see how it worked. Thanks very much. Jesus. Really off-putting. 
The thing is, it's going to annoy me now. <laughs> it didn't used to. <laughs> <laughs> but now you brought that up, I'm going to remember it. <laughs> Just imagine... It, it feels like being coached all the time by <laughs> like a slightly slightly over-enthusiastic cheerleader sergeant major. It's like, am I being told off? Am I being encouraged? I'm certainly feeling a bit patronised. And, you know, it, 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 was, it was the same in, in Fake Core too, you know, where people grin when they pick up the dice. I know that does your nut in. It's like, if you've got to put an exclamation mark at the end of a sentence, that means you're, you're over-egging it because people don't talk like that around my table. No. You know, they just, like Australians, where it always goes up at the end of every sentence. No, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> so, you know, nice to have a tone of voice, but it's just, it's so eager and not pleased with itself, but so chipper relentlessly chipper and I don't really I don't want it to go to the other extreme where it sounds like a cannibal corpse album where it's unrelentingly grim all the time like a 40k rule book <laughs> but it's so smiley about about fantasy role playing in a sewer is that I just oh I don't know anyway I'm sure there's a good game under there somewhere <laughs> I'll just read the reference sheets <laughs> we will find out I'm sure yeah it reminds me of the, the fake core work I had similar sort of things where everybody was always grinning all the time every time it gave an example yeah the, the GM was grinning yeah. and the player grinned back and then they grinned when they rolled some dice and it was like, oh, for fuck's sake, just get on with it, will you? Nobody, nobody's like this around the gaming table. I've been around a lot of gaming tables. Yeah. Nobody just constantly grins. It's like being in a game of paranoia or something. I know, I know. It's like nobody nobody ever says good luck when I'm about to roll the dice, but they're doing examples of play all the time. It's like, hey, hope you make it. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe they do in America. I'm, Maybe I think we're more used to the British thing where you roll the dice and everybody gives you shit for it afterwards when you've not rolled well enough. That's, that's the British version. I can't believe couldn't you even get the dice to again. hit the table. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have a feeling that, that any games of Blades in the Dark that we play will go slightly more Blackadder <laughs> than maybe. <laughs> Maybe they were designed to, but you know that's that's why we've got Warhammer and they had D and D. You know, yeah. it's, it's the same game, but with from two different sides of the the, the mirror. <laughs> well done, Baldrick. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, yeah, and this game, if there is, it, this game will not survive twenty minutes in British players' hands without somebody saying, "I have a cunning plan," and the rest of the people around the table throwing your Cheetos at <laughs> for doing that. <laughs> Very true, mate. I'm sure if you run out of Gen I still Con, want to play it. If you run out of Gen Con, you'll yeah. get people going, oh, really? What's the plan? <laughs> <laughs> it's as cunning as a fox that went to Weasel University. God, you're good at role playing. Yeah. <laughs> um, like you're good at ad lib. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah. Let's play it though. I think we should play oh, it. I, I really want to play this game. That that all aside, I really really want to play it. I, it. I I'm still not entirely sure why I'm 60 pages in, and I'm pretty much sure I've just got to roll a d6 to see what happens. But there you go. They they're, they're overdoing that bit as well. But it's a game I want to play, um, and everybody else will go mad for this, and they're hacking it to bits already, and they're playing Shadowrun with it, and they're probably playing Ocean's Eleven with it, and, and all kinds of stuff like that. And I think that's good. So. I am pleased because the game, the game gives you something to do, gives you a core activity, which is you're on the nick, you're a crew, and you're stealing stuff, and then gives you a game to support that activity. And that's that. I'm not being glib when I say that, but that's not often you see that. Compare and contrast with Unknown Armies, brilliant setting, great set of things going on, wheels within wheels, conspiracies everywhere. Arguably, you can't turn a corner without something interesting happening. But I'm still not entirely sure what you're supposed to do, mm. and and that and that happens a lot with games. So I think Blades in the Dark is very good at, at being very open about <coughs> what you do. No, it's good. Yeah, it, it is something that we, we're constantly uh, criticising other games, isn't it? When you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, I think it does mm. answer the core question very very clearly. Um, and it's got a good opportunity to be hacked and skinned and so forth, so you can play it cyberpunk. You can do something else with it. I think so. Yeah, we'll give it a bash and, and probably produce another podcast episode purely on that, I would think. Yeah. yeah. If anyone wants to run it for us, just shout out, will you? I mean, that'd be great. We'd love to come play. Yeah, I, I might have a guy, actually, Baz. I might have a guy who's going to run us a, a game or two, so I'll, I'll speak to you about that offline, so to speak. Otherwise, we'll end up with a mm-hmm. game with 47 people in it or something, which is probably bad. <laughs> that'd be great, exclamation mark. <laughs> I'm not sure the bandwidth on my computer can take it. 
Um, but yeah, so, so talking of new games and stuff, you've you've mentioned in passing on RPG chat on Google Plus and various other places, you're producing your own game, aren't you? So how how's that coming along? Yeah, it's good. Thank you for the, for the opportunity to <laughs> like <laughs> to get your soapbox and <laughs> uh, yeah, I, but thank you for the opportunity for everybody I've ever said on this podcast has produced rubbish for them to look at my work and go, well, you've just done exactly the same, mate. So, <laughs> So I'm I'm like hyper conscious and hyper aware that I'm breaking all of our rules, all of the codes of gaming conduct <laughs> that we've set out over nearly fifty episodes. They've all been chucked onto the bonfire of my vanity. So um, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, many many words have been typed into a computer. Uh, many numbers too. So um, it's going to be called. I, I struggled to find the name for ages. Normally like with scenarios and stuff, I come up with a really pithy name and then I have trouble with the content. Mm. Um, but but with this one, I came up with loads and loads and loads of content, struggled with the name for ages, and I'm going with King of Dungeons. It is the most derivative game ever, but that hasn't stopped fantasy gaming being quite popular. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there will be dungeons, there will be dragons, and there will be rules for fighting the latter in the former. So there's that. Um, it's, the difference is... is the, the, the different the thirty second elevator pitch on this will be there is really really good strong structural support for what you do outside of your little missions where you go and get gold and experience points so all of the stuff that's normally relegated to downtime is really brought to the fore in order to give you a reason to do the kind of stuff that you do in fantasy role playing games so one of my biggest things I've always loved about your D and Ds is that they are quite explicit about what you do, which is you start the adventure at the start of a, a door which leads to some stairs which goes underground, and your job is to go in there and, and kill stuff and take its stuff. And I know that there's millions of other ways of playing the game. I totally get that, and that's normally what I do too. But it's it's never really gone on about like what the world looks like when you've got professional adventurers doing that stuff. And I've always found that a really fascinating question as to, as to what happens. So most fantasy role-playing games just have you as a bunch of murder hobos kind of independent of any laws authorities what have you almost like a superhero team i suppose and you just blithely trot around the world dismembering things um (laughs) selling stuff that that could bring down a kingdom carting around super weapons if it was in the modern world it would be like you know shield would get involved (laughs) and probably put you in prison yeah so so my game is based on, on on that kind of stuff. So it's all about crews, guilds, some of which are very, very loose, like little independent party of adventurers who are really freelancing. But it's also got a massive old structure in there for what happens when adventurers get really organized, beyond just like the basic adventurers guild. But what happens when you get franchises? What happens when you get like adventuring companies where if you want to adventure in this kingdom or this part of the world, you really need to sign up with one of the big boys. If you get good at adventuring, you're going to get headhunted, probably at the point of a wand or the point of a sword. And you're certainly, after a while, going to be really more interested in your career than you are in the bits and pieces that happen down in the temples with the rubies. So it's got all of that behind it. So that's the structure. So although it doesn't have a setting, because I think setting books are ten a penny, it's designed to take any setting you want, any setting that you love, but give you something to do with it if you're an adventurer, as opposed to all of the settings which normally give you something to do with it if you want to be a herbalist or a monk or set up as a merchant. All of the mundane stuff is usually covered quite well in settings, but what you do if you're like a, a fighter and you're wandering around with a blood-drenched sword, it's always kind of like glossed over how you fit into society and what you do and and how that works. So that's what's going on there. Um, And it's also the other unique selling point where it's not that unique anymore is I'm just filling it with tone of voice. I'm not writing this to be put onto the shelves of a friendly local game store. And the first chapter is like, so welcome to a world of imagination. (laughs) Let me first of all explain what dice are. And you can get a character sheet from this website. No, nonsense that. No one is going to pick this up who, A, isn't already a gamer, and B, hasn't already played D&D a million times, and probably all of the other games too. 
And I like to think it's really conversational, probably a little bit funny in places, but I've written it almost by dictation so that it's like I'm explaining the game to you, Gaz. So when you read it, it should feel like I'm just telling you about the game rather than just writing the game. Okay. And that's that's actually not easy to do, but it's it's enormously good fun to write in that style. So if you take something like the initiative rules, which I've been gnashing my teeth over, there's you can either set out with like this is how initiative works, or imagine what it'd be like if instead you had the game designer telling you what initiative was like in his game. And the two tones are really, really different. Mm. And and the, the second one is perhaps not so easy to to reference later, but you get how it works a lot quicker. So it's the difference, uh, like card games, for example. You can either read the rule book for a card game or a board game, or you can have your mate tell you how the game works. Yeah. And, and your mate won't <clears throat> read the rule book word for word, will they? They will just do a mixture of show, explanation, shorthand, and say stuff like, have you ever played such and such? Well, it's a bit like that. And I'm not afraid of doing that. So that's what it's like, mate. But yeah, it's going very well. Three quarters written. Um, that may never stop. Um, first draft is pretty much done, just filling in a few corners now. Uh, every time I read a new book that comes out, I think, oh, that's a really good idea. I could import that, but I have to stop myself doing it. So I might stop reading other games for a few months just to just to nail it down. But yeah, it's, it's looking good. I'm pleased with it. Good. I look forward to reading some of that and uh, getting a guest on this podcast it. to criticise it. <laughs> you are never ever reading it. So there's that. <laughs> I'll just get you to explain it to me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> cool. That all sounds good. Um, so, so what about more meat spare stuff? Are you getting any gaming in at the minute? Because I'm I'm a bit light on actual game of games I've played. So have you managed to do anything, or have you got that um, that local? convention of yours is coming up soon isn't it yeah it is actually yeah 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 you, you've got some cons planned though haven't you i mean i've got this one in um april i think it is which is not far away um i've signed up to run a couple of games and, and it wasn't that long ago but i've done nothing about it since so <laughs> if, if they ask me again today what are you running next month i'd choose different things because <laughs> that's the trouble in it yeah. with with volunteering for anything with a con is stuff blows a little bit hot and cold and and the ideas I had like two or three months ago, I'd, I'd I'd rather do something else now. But then, you know, I've got a little bit of time to go. I might change my mind again. But yeah, I've got a couple of games on the go for that. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm bringing my son as well. Um, he's 10 and uh, and really, really, really loves gaming of all stripes. Um, I took him to Dragon Meet last year and he had a fantastic time. And I, and I think it's suitable because there's, there's some really good GMs there running some games for teenagers, which I think is mm. a really good shout. Uh, and obviously he's not quite a teenager yet, but he'll be in there with the 12 to 15 year olds and I think he'll do fine mm-hmm. um, and he'll get well looked after. And I'm really, really, really interested to see what he thinks of it, you know, playing in a game with essentially strangers, but he can't wait. So um, he's really looking forward to that, as am I. But I mean, you've got cons coming up, right? Are you not, you're running stuff, what, Seven Hills must be? Yeah, Seven Hills, I think, I think it's April. It's getting to that point of the year now where I have to start putting things in my diary because stuff's going to start happening really quickly. And then mm. obviously some of them will be lots of it. So, um, yeah, Seven Hills should be good. It normally is. There's um, At the Garrison, they're doing a Savage convention as well, which is just Savage World stuff, uh, I think, in August. Uh, and then there's, like, Condams happening again in Amsterdam in the beginning of June, Games Expos the mm. weekend before or after. I can't remember which. Um, so it's starting to hot up a little bit. Um, there was something, I think, believe it was last weekend, but I couldn't go, unfortunately. I was doing um, some netrunnery stuff. But we've mentioned mm. previously things like uh, Concrete Cow and Go Play Leeds. We had Guy on from there quite recently. So uh, there's a couple of guys, uh, Sam and Billy, who does all the superhero gaming, uh, and James Mullen, who's one of the, the sort of more independent type games. He runs loads and loads of them. A big gem from the sort of uh, Southern Cons kind of phase, but lives in Birmingham now. Um, those guys, uh, Pookie and I think one or two others, did a sort of one-day con in a game shop in Birmingham. Uh, mm-hmm. And by all accounts, that went well. So, um, yeah, it, it's just more adding more fuel to the fire on that thing that we're saying, build it and they'll come. I think there's a nice little community in the UK, and if you can get uh, just a, a space allocated and a couple of slots set up and some people to organise, you can get some gamers down. I think there are about 40-odd people turned up in the end. Just a couple of slots. That's good. But yeah, I saw a couple of the photos. Looked at like everybody was enjoying themselves. The game shop, I think, do um, 
I do like table service on the food. I still like, you know, just toasties and stuff like that. Nothing hardly caught on Blair or anything. But you can go and order something at the bar and then um, just sit at your gaming table and someone comes and brings your stuff to you, which is quite a nice touch. Yeah, lovely. So that's good. I, hopefully there'll be a few more of those or one or two more throughout the year or some other things like that around the place and I'll probably get to, to stick my war in at one of those, run a couple of games or something. Hmm. So there's yeah, there's stuff happening. Uh, I've just not got my uh, act together with a, a local group. There don't seem to be many role plays about. As I say, it's more that kind of the the card games and the you know imperial assault or that kind of stuff going on more than a a role playing activity that I found anyway at the minute. But it'll it'll come soon enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar. I mean, my my weekly gaming group again, which became a monthly gaming group, which is getting towards being biannual. Now. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, there's always, there's always one thing or another, um, <laughs> either the lurgy or a holiday or something. Uh, but yeah, we we got uh, we got stuck into a, a fifth edition D and D campaign, which is really super cool. Uh, we're playing Storm King's Thunder, which is one of their big hardback campaigns. But and I don't own it, so I'm trusting. Uh, Matt, who's running it for us, and I, I can just tell because he's not looked at his notes once that we are nowhere. Even after two sessions, we are well off the beaten track. <laughs> um, so, but you can't tell. Apart from that, it's just me metering it a little bit, and I can't see can't see any joins. And I know that if you play published stuff, you're always going to see the joins. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's been going pretty well. That's been fun to play. It's uh, it's been a bit of an eye opener actually. I've, I've realised that um, much as I bang on about D and don't get to play it that often. Um, and I really like 5th edition. I think it's kind of cool. I don't think it's um, quite as simple or straightforward to generate or play a character as I thought it was from the GM side. Um, I'm, do- I'm playing a cleric, which is potentially, I suppose, one of the hardest things to do because you just get access to all the spells. Yeah. And I've just hit third level. And now I've got... Well, I constantly have to have the player's handbook open on my lap or it on an app or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 bugging me a little bit that I'm not learning it quick enough, and there's, there's so many little inconsistencies. Um, I know there's ways around this, and I really should just stick it all onto cards or download some stuff or make my own little spreadsheets. But um, I, did, I didn't think I'd have to do so much work to 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 corral my character from round to round. And, I, and I'm the first GM to shout at someone if their initiative comes up and they don't have an answer for me. <laughs> and and I, I am now one of those guys and everyone else is like, you know, putting a kettle on because I'm still trying to select a, the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, a bit of that. And there's more of that to come. Um, and probably some other stuff along the way too. So, yeah, there's, there's some. But it's, it's like you, mate. I think there's going to be conventions is going to be where it's at. And that always gives you a shot in the arm. Um, some online gaming it's encouraging if you think we get some blades going i'm really really interested in mm. that um and and i want to run some stuff online too i have no idea what that would be but but i fancy just maybe just picking something and going for it um I'm, maybe apocalypse world who knows yeah i'm just struggling to work out what black widow looks like as a cleric because that, that's clearly what your character's gonna be so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she's kind of athletic. She's a she's worse than that. She's a dwarf. So. Now I've got to imagine Scott Johansson as a dwarf with a beard. That's... She, her vestments have got a big zip down the front, and uh, she's it's like she's like the Black Widow in the Hall of Mirrors, where you're like only three foot tall but four foot wide. She's taller when she's laying down. Um, but yeah, but she's she's got moves, man. She's red haired. I don't know what more you want from me, really. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Yes, um, the, that remind, there is an Apocalypse World tournament going on as well, actually. Tournament. Convention. Um, no, you're right first time. Yeah, well, one of the two. That's <laughs> the they all have to fight. Well. That'll be interesting. They all I'm have not... to hit each other until there's only one left. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's for me, but it, it will be happening. I don't know. Um, I seem to have... Um, Enter the new year without much gaming to my wrist, it turns out. Or certainly role-playing, although there's plenty to talk about and read and do. Mm. Um, so it'd be good to actually get there's, some real... There's, um, there's loads and loads of stuff coming out. Uh, it, it, it seems to be as busy as ever. And there's all kinds of um, new properties and new exciting things. I think that I went through a bit of a dull patch of like purchasing last year, which did my bank account loads of favours, thank goodness. But there, there's stuff on the horizon now. It seems to be really coming back to life just as um, as we come out of winter. So there's 
Oh, in the last week, there's been an announcement of all the 2000 AD stuff. That's oh, quite yeah, exciting. Yeah. So that's, um, well, go, go on the internet and find out about it, because by the time you listen to this, you, you, there are better sources of news than listening to us, because we still talk about Earthdawn being radical. These <laughs> 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 <So, laughs> I'm quite excited to see some Judge Dredd and Strontium Dog and stuff like that happening. Uh, and then there's stuff like Coriolis, which I know very little about, but I've downloaded the quick start, and that's like science fiction stuff, uh, but from um, an Arabian Nights point of view. So that's already a nice, interesting twist. And I'm constantly on a mission to find out, like, you know, can we get a decent space game going? Actually, maybe that Coriolis quick start, maybe that, that would be a good one or two shot um, mm. online. Um, and anything to do with Modifius. They just seem to be punting out stuff like there is no tomorrow or, or no yesterday because we're getting another Conan. Yes. Uh, loads and loads of stuff. I've, I've never touched the whole 2D20 thing that they do. Have you, have you tried any of that, mate? In fact, didn't, weren't, didn't you used to love Mutant Chronicles back in the day when it was a skirmishy war game? Yes, yeah, it used to be called Warzone. Uh, and then I played the card That's game it. as well. That was my first, one of my first forays into a competitive card game at the time as well. Yeah, it's um, a lot of art by Paul Bonner. He used to work for GW doing the Orcs and Goblins. Oh, he's I really like his stuff. Lots of uh, square jaw guys with uh, bits of uh, stubble and all the rest of it, and shiny shiny guns or axes, depending on what it was, and uh, you know, larger than life boots, and you know, just generally a bit more. He was a really good artist for Gears Workshop stuff because a lot of his stuff seemed a little bit larger than life and heads a little bit too big for bodies, maybe, and that kind of stuff. But it looked like meaty, active. Characters that he drew with it, and he sort of took that to uh, to Warzone as well, and that's really interesting stuff there. Um, the TD20, I've not quite wrapped my head around. I tried looking through it, but it, as we've sort of previously discussed, it's another one of those massive, thick books. And in today's day and age, when I work for a living and all the rest of it, it's just been a bit of a chore to try and read through it. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that um, Paul Lawrence, who's a great guy for doing loads of bling for games. He's quite into the same sort of stuff. And I think for Seven Hills or possibly some other things, he's going to do a Mutant Chronicles game, but use Savage Worlds for it. Because um, he, right. he tried playing the, the, the system as is uh, with someone else running it at a previous convention and wasn't massively taken with it. So he's just going to savage it up. So I think with that, the kind of uh, background and cool art they've got, uh, and then mix that with a, a quite easy, fun pulp setting uh, system, rather, um, it should be down my alley. So I'm looking forward to giving that a go if I get a chance. Um, mm. uh, there's, there's quite a few things coming out for Savage, actually, now I mention it. Um, Is there? There seems to be more and more background things coming out, things like Rifts they've done a Savage version of, that some people have got into oh, yeah. that, which I've never tried. Uh, I picked up World War One type stuff for it recently. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other things. I keep seeing in my feed from Pinnacle with... Um, uh, all kinds of different weird, wonderful settings. I nearly picked up Regime Diabolique the other day, which is, I think, Musketeers, but with demons and stuff in the background. So there seems mm-hmm. to be a bunch of them. I'm quite looking to, forward to trying some different stuff like that, I think. I think uh, anything that's savage, which is fairly generic, I've probably done and done to death to a degree. So I'm, sure. I'm looking forward to sort of getting involved in some of the new settings that might be out there and trying something a bit different, but with the familiar engine underneath. Uh, yeah. Mm. So yeah, and I've not tried the two D twenty stuff. I know I'm, I'm a bit wary of it. I think I'm not that I'm sold on the tooth. I can't learn a new system. It just feels a little bit more effort on top of having to read all the setting material and everything else. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. I, no, I totally get that. But I mean, that said, mate, reading through going back to unknown armies, that's the system I thought I knew. But I'm having to read it from scratch. Again. Yeah, true. It's not actually helping at all. <laughs> so you know, maybe you know, I've I've read so many iterations now. And writing the own as well has, has gone to show that sometimes you just need to see the change log, don't you? It's um, I could do with a primer in most games for how this is different to other games you've played, or what what works here, and how we treat this kind of thing. Because um, yeah, they're all, they always seem to be written with the newbie gamer in mind, mm. which is I think a weird step. It's quite hard to not do that. Having tried it, I can tell you. But the next time I pick up another fantasy role-playing game, I would much rather that it just said, this is how we handle this bit. But honestly, you're still going to be chatting to people about what they can see, hear, and experience. And they're still going to be fighting and negotiation and all that. And we probably don't have to explain how that bit works. Yeah, that's very true. So, Yeah, it's interesting because in my day job doing uh, technical stuff, 
when you get a new version of Oracle or whatever, you'll get release notes and the what's changed since the last version and that kind of stuff. Uh, and something like that in many cases would be more useful in a game than having to read the whole thing again and rereading stuff that you already know or with a, like you say, the, the bits like, welcome to a whole new fantasy world where you can make up whatever you want to do. And it's like, yeah, I know all that. <laughs> yeah, skip. Yeah. <laughs> do we both roll for initiative or is it just the players? That's what I want to know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, that would that would do the job, wouldn't it? And that's why um, stuff like the Black Hack I think was so refreshing and a really good shot in the arm for people. Um, where I love it or hate it, it was just it was just house rules, but people treat it like a complete game um, because it was written for people who already know how to play fantasy role playing games. Mm. Um, and why not? So you you almost don't notice that it doesn't tell you how to play fantasy role playing games because you don't need that picking it up. Um, and I know that uh, David Black sort of like he's doing a whole bunch of stuff now to maybe pad it out a little bit more and well no not pad it out that makes it sound like he's putting in filler I doubt very much it'll be any filler in there he just wants to make it more complete and more standalone and and our old chum Graham Spearing's done his own take on it as well with heroic fantasy which is which is very very cool indeed um and and he's just gone back to the black hat and 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 filled in all the little gaps which I didn't even know were there on the first (laughs) read because as a veteran and there can't be anyone listening to this podcast who hasn't played for donkey's years, right? That we, we don't. It's it's just not. Is it necessary? I don't know. Do people feel shortchanged if they buy a complete game and it comes in at less than fifty pages? Because there is a whole kind of like like people getting paid by the word. Kickstarters are only any good if you're going to get a thousand pages. The two volume guide to Glorantha is better because it's bigger. Is is not. It's not a philosophy I subscribe to, but I clearly have a minority view. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, do people... I mean, an element of it is, and this is one of the things that I never used to like about D&D, actually, uh, but other people just didn't care, is um, it's when you're playing it and you find out there isn't a rule for the thing you want to do, or you don't want right. to handle something. So a classic one would be back when we were kids and didn't really know that you could make stuff up yourself and you had to like look for it in the book and hope there was a rule for it. Uh, it's things like, you know, you wanted to throw a spear in a goblin's leg and just wound it and not uh-huh. take it out of action. But there wasn't a rule for that. It's just got some hit points. And when you hit that level or more, mm-hmm. it's dead. Uh, and we, you know, spent many a, an hour as kids trying to work out, well, what? I, I don't want to kill him. I just want to, like, how do I knock someone unconscious? Mm-hmm. How do I just stab him in the leg so he can't run away? What? How do we handle that? Mm. And because there was no real, we didn't really know what to do about it. And you didn't feel confident enough at first, anyway, to sort of make it up because it felt a little bit like you were cheating, or you know, maybe the GM sure. did make something up, and then you as players went, "Well, that's just like harder than killing him. We might as well just kill him then. Why, why would we do that?" So I think with those sort of games, mm. there's, it's like you said, there's as long as you're comfortable in the, it's going to give us some basics, and that other shit we'll just make up ourselves, and that's fine. I think that all works out. And then when the extra rules come along, or the extra like not padding, as you say, but you know more clarifications or enhancements, you don't necessarily notice they were missing because you just make it up yourself otherwise. But um, yeah, you know, because we're all veterans, we, we understand that. I think the the worry is if you're giving a game to a new person, you have to explain it all, or I think you do. So so therein lies the difference that because you're writing a game like Black Hack or something's for veterans, you understand that they know they can make all of the shit up. Or they will know how to True. make it a balanced, uh, come to a balanced decision on what to do. I suppose, mm. you know, as opposed to the old, no, you know, roll a d twenty and roll high. Well, what does that mean? What's high? What I don't, you know, that, that <laughs> old chestnut. Just don't roll a one. Yeah, anything but a one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a fair point, mate. I mean, it's 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 an interesting conundrum. Well, it's, it's not even a kind of. You look at something like a dungeon world. And imagine if that were someone's first ever fantasy role playing game. It's so difficult for people like you and I to tell, but like, is would that get you a really good dungeoneering experience if you had nothing else, no other context, just that book? I think it probably would, to be honest. I don't think the Black Hack would, even though people have tried to tell me it's a great beginner's game. It's like you, you are joking, right? <laughs> <laughs> it just no. Um, it's a great beginner's game. If you're the beginner and the other five people at the table know exactly what to do and hold your hand for it all, and the GM says you don't need to worry about it, just tell me what you want to do. Yeah. But then that's true of all games. Right. Um, but I think Dungeon World is quite good. I mean, Dungeon World doesn't have initiative, um, 
and it's sometimes you don't notice it's not there till you're playing it and then you go oh oh hang on i was kind of expecting that to be there and it's not how does it work and then you realize you didn't really need it or notice it it's kind of peculiar mm. um i've taken a decision my game has spells not unreasonably it's got magic none of them which have range or duration which is not exactly revolutionary and maybe I don't think it will cause arguments at the table. It might cause questions, but questions in role-playing sessions is what role-playing is for me. Question and answer, conversation. Yeah, I think a, a ruling is perfectly adequate, and I think only the the the, the lowest the lowest of player would want to know exactly what the duration of a magic force bolt is because it's kind of obvious for me. <laughs> from the, well, it seems obvious from the title, but yeah. you can look at the last 20 years of fantasy role-playing games. They all have a duration of like one action or swift casting or something. They feel like they need to put a keyword on it. Yeah. And I just don't think you do. So, uh, and, and, you know, and the same with ranges as well. You know, if you're going to put 100 feet on there, then people will, people will start to tell you that they advance to within 101 feet of the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> just the way, yeah. the way it works. <laughs> so don't put it there at all. And then if the player says, how far away are they? Can I hit them with a spell from here? It's like, probably, yeah. Why not? Because that's a better answer than no. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, it's going to encourage you. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah. I can't remember whether I've told you this story. No, I probably mentioned it on the previous podcast, but we played against the Giants. And um, there's one bit, I think it's against the Hill Giants, I'm not sure. You go into a hall and there's like some you know, some giants and some Atins and some whatever other minions about and all the rest of the place in this big hall with some mm. pillars. And in my head, when that, that that sort of thing was described to me, I imagine these like long trestle tables with giants sat and like eating whole pigs or whatever and all that kind of stuff. But then the GM put some floor plans out. And everybody was in anti-fireball order, so all, all these giants were spaced like twenty-five feet apart, or whatever it was, so that you couldn't you could get the minimum number within your blast of your fireball. And it was like, really? <laughs> they're all just hanging out in this hole eating food, but making sure that they're as far away from another giant as physically possible in case some adventurers come in and try and fireball them. And it was, you know, I doubt it would happen today, being being as old and old as we are, but at the time, it felt like that's just a function of me putting a range and a you know, radius on yes. your fireballs. Now someone's thought about that and tried to do something to to, to game it in inverted commas, rather than it being uh, oh, you know totally yeah yeah. It, it makes it all look like it's um like a, a tube train in London with where the passengers are sitting. You know, no one's going to go and sit next to anyone. Yeah. It's like they're all equally spaced. It's the only other circumstance <laughs> in which they would be safe from fireballs is on a bus. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. Try using your chain lines, yeah. But yeah, but giants in a pub because I get it, it's like Warhammer World, right? Like, if anyone's ever been there, it's like Bugman's Tavern, and yeah, uh, they should all be sitting there, like, ripping ripping legs off of stuff, but (laughs) and not like (laughs) pushing each other aside, like you know, like tapping each other on the shoulder and going, Take a step to the left, honestly, you'll get caught. (laughs) Yeah, it was, yeah, I was halfway annoyed and halfway amused because, like. I was just in disbelief, and then the other part of me was imagine these giants with tape measures kind of like, Jeff, for fuck's sake, get off. you're too near Tony, you need to move over there. I can't help it, Dave yeah, keeps creeping exactly. forward. It just <laughs> creates a ludicrous hmm. situation. But there you are, yeah, so putting durations, ranges, and all the rest of it on things just then forces people to try and use that in some way. When you've yeah. got to work out, which which brings us all the way back. It brings us back to the whole unknown armies making a roll because you're moving more than thirty feet. It's uh, really, really. I just don't think it's going to happen in, in yeah. that many games. There's plenty of games you can play that I love playing. Those games I love playing tactical games. That's fine, but um, yeah, d- d- maybe do one or the other, perhaps. Um, and I, and I kind of like it when people put a. Funnily enough, put a line in the sand and say, I'm not crossing it because it's five feet away from the other line. I just drew. <laughs> I don't want an attack of opportunity or opportunity attack. Yeah, yeah, take that out of the game as well. You know, it's amazing what you can chop from games. If you if you were feeling really, really unprecious about your game or you, you had some funds and you wanted to buy a new one, just like, you know, hit copy all, select all, right? So control A for your PDF for your gaming book of choice. And then go through it as as a fan of that game and someone who's played it a lot, and just trim out the stuff you don't need to know anymore, having read it once. Mm. And you'd be surprised how little there is left at the end of it if you just 
Yeah, I mean, actually, Savage Worlds has got plenty of detail, plenty of rules in it, but you, you'll run that off a reference sheet at worst, won't you? And, yeah, you know, I, I wonder how many games could be better served as the whole game is on the inside of the GM screen mm. that they want you to have a copy of. Uh, and I think there are plenty that could be done that way. You'd have to be brave because you just wouldn't be able to charge thirty four ninety nine for it, but <laughs> it, it could be done. Yeah, no, true. All good. Cool. Right, I think we're done for today, are we? 